Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us again today as we try to answer your questions about the Bible. And that's what we'll be doing for the next 30 minutes is simply answering questions. Uh, there's a website and a phone number on the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us here at Know Your Bible. And just tell us what you're interested in us discussing. Uh, you might have a real detailed question about some specific verse or doctrine or something in church history that you've always wondered about. Or you might just have some things in this world that you're wondering about. What's the Bible have to say about that? For instance, we got a question today about a Christian and welfare. How's that go together? Well, there's some biblical principles about that, and we'll try to explain them to you today. So anything you're interested in us discussing, give us a call or log on and tell us what it is. Let me introduce my friend Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're back with us and studied up and ready to go. i got some good questions saved up, and uh, we'll try to get as many as we can. But we always start with one for our viewing audience. So here's your trivia question for the day. How many times did the army of the Israelites circle Jericho? Remember, they knocked down the walls of Jericho by marching around it. How many times did they march around it? And uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know about it. All right, Toby, you got the first one, so yep. get, us, get us rolling here. And got kind of a tough one to start out the program today, but the viewer asked the question, will aborted and miscarried babies go to heaven? Well, uh, that is a, a tough question because it's uh, just such a tragedy that we uh, lose so many young ones before they have a chance to start their life. And uh, some of that is uh, done intentionally. It's just the murdering of a human life. And some uh, are just lost tragically, uh, stillborn or some medical condition or something. And uh, it, those things happen. And of course, one is preventable, certainly. And I, I think uh, every abortion breaks the heart of God. Uh, but. To answer the question directly, I believe yes. I do believe aborted and miscarried babies go to heaven. And the viewer, I don't know if they meant to, but uh, they understand uh, intuitively what Scripture tells us is that uh, regardless of the stage uh, of development in the womb, that God considers every uh, unborn baby a human being uh, with life and a soul and all of that. Now, if you're looking for a Scripture, a verse that I can point to, just basically that says that answer, I can't. Uh, what I'm going to give you are some <coughs> principles that we know. Uh, the scripture tells us that God is love, first and foremost. Uh, secondly, God, uh, the Bible tells us that God protects <coughs> and watches over the innocent, and He uh, looks after the orphans and the widows and those who don't have someone to speak up for them, and certainly uh, unborn babies uh, fall into that category. And then we know that God knows the unborn. Uh, several places in Scripture. Uh, God knows their name. God was there intimately, well, not only with their creation, but with ours. Uh, his eyes saw our unformed bodies, that they, when we were being formed in the secret place, uh, the Bible tells us. 
So unborn babies are, yes, very much still creatures of God. And because they <clears throat> die innocent, uh, I am confident that they are still in God's saving grace. I know some people believe that uh, babies are born sinful, and that's a whole other doctrinal question. But suffice it to say, I believe uh, those young children are perfectly innocent and in God's full uh, atoning grace. So uh, you can trust in the case of abortion when the innocent are murdered that God is going to take them in his arms and love them where they can never be hurt or harmed again. Uh, and a miscarriage in the same way. You can trust if you're going through that tragedy as a, a young family or a young mom. Uh, I know there's nothing more heartbreaking, but you can know that your little one is in God's care and fully taken care of and not ever going to suffer again in any way. Let's look at Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 and 14 together. For you, uh, speaking here of God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So I believe, yes, uh, those babies, those little ones are safe, and, and they are in God's arms. All right. A uh, question about uh, Christians working, or actually all people working in welfare, I guess. A viewer says, there's a verse in the Old Testament, a man is to live by the sweat of his brow. Does that apply to welfare? Well, I think I know exactly what this viewer is wondering about. Uh, that verse that he quoted is Genesis 3.19. It came at the, the fall of man when man got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of sin. Uh, that was one of the punishments. One part of the curse uh, was that man was going to have to work, work hard to make a living. Uh, the earth changed where there were weeds and all of that. In the Garden of Eden, he had some work to do, but it was pleasant work somehow. It wasn't hard. He just tended the garden and probably enjoyed every minute of it. But the curse made man work, work hard to make a living. So that's what our viewers talking about. Now, not just that verse, but there is a Christian work ethic, let's call it. Christians are supposed to work. Uh, Paul says that's the way Christians do things. We don't rely on other people. Uh, we work, and over the years, that's called the Christian work ethic. The, the Puritans were pretty hardcore on that, uh, and most people in the world lived by that standard until fairly recently. Let's look at uh, one verse that shows the Christian work ethic, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Now, bear in mind, these were brand new Christians in Ephesus, and a lot of them were uh, pagans and thieves and all kinds of scallywags, and what Paul said about to them, he said, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share in need. All right. What Paul said to Christians was, if you've been stealing, that's not the way Christians live. We work. So get a job, make some money, take care of your own family, is another verse, and make enough that you've got some to share with people that need it. So there are people that need help. There are people that need uh, a handout, if you will, or a hand up is a better way to say it. Uh, they're in trouble for a while and they need a little help to get them along. Uh, they're poor people that always need a little something. So Paul said Christians work and share with others. That's the Christian work ethic. Now, Paul goes even further than that. Uh, in Second Thessalonians, he told the church in Thessalonica, he said, I've heard that there's some people there that aren't working. You're lazy. 
You're depending on others to support you. And he said, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So Paul said, for Christians, if you've got somebody that needs help, that can't work, that's uh, disabled or something, yes, the church ought to help him. Uh, but if a man is able and he refuses to, if he's lazy and won't work, <clears throat> then let him go hungry. Now, I know that sounds cruel to us today and sounds way over the top, uh, but I think Paul and God <clears throat> both were smart enough to know that a guy won't starve to death. You know, if you <laughs> if you don't give him a handout, uh, he'll pretty soon figure out, well, I'm going to have to do something, <laughs> and he'll get him a job or work to live. Uh, as long as we don't enable that kind of activity, uh, he'll find a job. So that's the Christian work ethic. Now, viewer's question, how's that apply to welfare? Well, the problem is we've got things so messed up by changing roles of Christians and the church and government uh, that I don't know if we can ever get it straightened out. So, it, yes, it should apply, but, boy, it's going to be very hard because what we've done is change the role of government from just protecting the innocent and punishing wrongdoers to we gave them the role of helping people. We gave government the role of uh, caring for people. And that's not what it is in the Bible. In the Bible, family is first. Family is supposed to take care of their own. If you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an infidel. And second, the church is supposed to help people that don't have a family. Uh, the widows that don't have a family to take care of them, don't have any children or grandchildren, the Bible says, the church takes care of them. And that's the way people used to do things before we had a huge government welfare society. That's the way the world used to work, and it worked pretty good. Uh, but now we've turned over all of that responsibility. Families don't think they're supposed to take care of anybody anymore. Churches don't know how to do that very well, and uh, welfare takes care of a lot of folks. So all I can tell you is it's all messed up. It would be best if we followed biblical principles and people worked if they were able. There are some people that aren't able to work, and we ought to help those people. Uh, but the way things are now, I don't see much hope for change. Um, so, yeah, it applies, but I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> I vote's all I know. Vote, vote the best you can. And take care of your own. Yeah. I mean, we, we as Christians ought to work. We ought to take care of our own. We ought to do it the way the Bible says. Yeah. All right, I went on quite a while there. Well, I think it was a, a good answer. And, you know, I think the challenge is just always thinking about what's the best way to help, really help someone. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's uh, giving a man a fish versus uh, teaching a man a fish. So, yep. Yep. Uh, All right, the next question is, is cremation right or wrong according to the Bible? Well, on this issue, uh, the Bible is absolutely neutral. It neither prohibits nor condones the practice of cremation. Of course, if you don't know, cremation is just the burning of a body uh, after uh, the, a person has died. And you take the, the body, which is basically then just a shell, uh, which used to, ho uh, to, ho to house the soul, and is now, of course, the soul has departed, gone on to the, to, uh, the realm of the dead, and uh, the body is left behind. Uh, cremation merely speeds up the process, by the way. Uh, eventually, uh, a body, regardless if it's cremated or not, 
a, a body eventually, give it long enough time, will become ashes um, and return to the dust. So uh, cremation is just a, a process that speeds up that. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. There are a couple of examples. Uh, one is found in 1 Samuel 31, where they burned the body of Saul and his men after they were terribly uh, desecrated, and uh, it was something that they did to avoid bringing shame on the kingdom. Uh, but it's more of an example. It doesn't specifically tell us whether that was okay or not. Uh, I personally think it's just a matter of preference. And if you decide you want to do that, that's fine. If you decide you want to be buried a more traditional way, that's fine too. Make sure your family understands your wishes or those who are uh, handling your estate, uh, that they know what you wish to do. And either way, biblically, is fine. Because really, the body is just uh, a part of the uh, old way, and that will pass away when you pass away. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 52. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. So, uh, how you choose to do that is a personal preference, and Scripture has no specific uh, uh, admonition on that. So. All right. I'll take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, people uh, sometimes decide they'll study the Bible and just start reading in Genesis. And uh, sometimes they get a little tied up when they get around Leviticus or so and just can't keep going and it's not that interesting and uh, all of that. That's one way to study the Bible, but we've got some other ways that we think are better. Uh, we've got some free Bible study materials that we're happy to share with you. And certainly sitting down and reading the Bible is a good way and some people do that just fine. But if that's been hard for you and you want some other method, here's a, some of them we think are a good way to do it. Uh, you see on the screen right now there's a course that's got eight different lessons in it. And what we do is we'll send you the first one, and the first one's about the Old Testament. And you sit down and read this little pamphlet, and it's colorful and interesting and uh, very easy to read. You read through it, and it tells you to read certain parts of the Bible, and you read that, and it helps you understand what that means. <clears throat> and then on the back page there's a few questions to see if you've uh, paid attention and studied well. It's not hard or difficult, but it just kind of holds you accountable. Make sure you're you're tuned in there, and you send that all back to us. We pay the postage on that, and then we'll score it for you and send you lesson number two, which is about the New Testament. And that's the way the course works. That's the way all of our courses work. Uh, it gets you into the Bible, uh, helps you form a <coughs> regular habit of Bible study. Great way to learn about the Bible, and we want you to know your Bible. So. Phone number, website are on the screen. Get in touch with us. Tell us you'd like us to start that, and we'll get it started for you. All right, question next uh, from our viewer is about communion. Does the Bible say who can or cannot <coughs> receive communion? Well, no, the Bible does not say that, uh, say anything about that. Now, communion is obviously between a Christian and his Lord. We're communing with Jesus at the table. We're remembering what he did for us. Uh, we're thinking about how we re our relationship is with him and thanking him for what he did. Now, that's all wrapped up in communion. Uh, the religious world has 
taken like they do everything in the Bible and made it a little more complicated. Uh, so in the religious world we speak of open communion and closed communion. Uh, churches that practice open communion and the churches of Christ do uh, serve the communion, make it available, pass it around or however it's uh, passed and it's up to the person to decide should I take communion or not. And obviously, if you're a Christian, you ought to. If you're not a Christian, you shouldn't. That's fairly obvious. Uh, but we don't monitor visitors or worry who's taking it or anything. That's an open communion. Now, a closed communion is a church that says only members and only members in good standing uh, can partake of communion. So if you're a visitor or you're not a part of this family or if you're uh, part of this denomination, uh, but you haven't been practicing or you haven't been uh, living like you ought to, you, you're not in good standing with this denomination, then you can't take communion. That's a closed communion. We don't read anything about that in the Bible. Uh, in the Bible it just says communions between a Christian and their Lord. Uh, now, obviously, uh, if somebody comes, a visitor that doesn't understand, they're not a Christian, and all of a sudden this... Uh, is in front of them, they might not know what to do. We might have to educate a little bit. We might have to teach. Now, here's what communion is and all that. We have to teach our young people. Uh, all of our kids, when the first time it comes by, they want some of that. Uh, so we have to educate them. No, this is for Christians, and someday uh, you'll be able to do that. But anyhow, no, the Bible does not say so. It's up to the person. And I think a good verse for that is 1 Corinthians 11:28. Uh, Paul says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread or drinks of the cup. So not up to the church, I don't think. Uh, it's up to the person to examine himself. Now, I just, when I said that, I did think of one exception. Uh, if somebody's been disfellowshipped, if they've been disciplined and said, no, you're not a part of the church until you repent, uh, then yes, we ought to tell them they can't, can't do that until they repent and make right their sins. But that's a rare exception. Uh, in general, it's up to the person. Examine yourself, and if you feel like you can take it, take it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, the next question is, you were asked, does it say in the Old Testament uh, that everyone will know when the Son of God comes? Uh, well, to my knowledge, there is no verse in the Old Testament that says that. Uh, there, of course, is a verse in the New Testament that says that. Of course, many in, uh, verses in the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus coming, and meaning his actual incarnation, becoming flesh and living on earth. Um, but as far as uh, Jesus' second return, which I think is what they're asking about in this particular uh, question, um, I don't think that is the case. Uh, so it's, um, I'm interpreting the question uh, to read one way versus the other, so I apologize if I interpret the wrong way. But it, as far as Jesus returning for the, to, to claim his own for the final last judgment day, uh, he is uh, returning. And the verse in the New Testament which talks about that is Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. Uh, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so he basically said when Jesus returns for the second time, uh, he's going to come back uh, in a, such a way that it will be unmistakable and everyone will know it. 
And so uh, that's how the New Testament answers that question. If you're looking uh, for the other one about when he actually came the first time, uh, you can look up many different prophecies. I'll recommend Isaiah 53. So. All right, the viewers been watching more than Know Your Bible, been watching other TV preachers. <laughs> oh, no, it's hard well, to surely believe. not. Yeah, viewer <laughs> says other TV preachers uh, say if we give, we will be blessed with more money. Is that in the Bible? Well, we appreciate that you trust us enough to come ask us, is it in the Bible? And uh, we want you to know your Bible, and so we'll, we'll give you an answer. Uh, if you give, will you be blessed with more money? Well, the principle is in the Bible, and let me show you it, and then we'll cover the, the caveats a little bit. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, uh, this is in the Old Testament, and it's still the same true principle today. God told the Israelites, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There's the principle. God says, and of course, most everybody was farmers back then, so that's how he explained it. He said, when the harvest is coming in, when the grapes, wheat, corn, whatever are coming, you give the first fruits, the first part of the harvest, you give that to God, and that proves you're faithful to him. You believe in him. You believe that he's going to continue to bless you. He says, if you do that, he will bless you. You'll get more. Uh, the rest of the harvest will come in, and it'll be bounteous, and your barns will be full, and all that. So... Strictly speaking, yes, that's the principle. You give, and you'll be given more. Now, the trouble is, these other TV preachers that you talk <laughs> about have perverted that principle and perverted what the Bible teaches into saying that God wants everybody to be rich, and if you give, you'll get rich. There'll be more coming all the time, and the, and the more you give, the more you'll be blessed, and and all that, and the problem is most of them want you to direct that uh, not to God or not to your local church or not to a local charity, uh, but they want you to send it to them and carry this TV station <laughs> and we'll take care of it for you. Uh, that's a perversion of what the Bible says. We never ask you for money on this program. Uh, we don't try to scam anybody or trick anybody in any way. Uh, these some of these other TV preachers treat it like it's a guaranteed lottery. If you send us a little bit, and they use the term seed faith a lot, if you give your seed faith giving, then you'll win the big lottery. And that's just not the principle. The, the, the problem is God blesses faith. He blesses faith in Him. And if you believe, he will bless you, that he'll give you enough to live on and, and all of that, then yes, the principle works. But if you're treating him like a rigged slot machine, then okay, if I send this, I'm going to get this, uh, he knows what your heart is. He knows why you're giving. Uh, he knows that you're not trusting him to to give you the basics of life, that you're trying to hit it big. You're trying to scam the system, if you will. So uh, I don't want to sound too harsh about this, but it's, it is a sad thing. There are a lot of preacher types on TV who, I mean, they'll come right out and tell you to send your Social Security check in uh, and stuff and take money away from people that really need it uh, to get by. So it's a cruel and, and wrong thing. The principle's true, yes. You give. God will bless you, but if you're showing faith in Him, not some rigged 
game to get get more and get rich quick kind of thing. All right, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. We are kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to thank one or two of them each week for supporting us. Uh, today, let me talk about the church in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas, Eastwood Church of Christ over there on North Plum, right up by the State Fair. And a good group of people there. Jimmy Ray Mead is the preacher. I know you'd enjoy hearing him. A uh, fine group of folks. Drop in and visit them sometime. If you're searching for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed. If you know somebody that attends the Eastwood Church in Hutch, uh, tell them you watch this program and you appreciate them keeping it on the air for you. All right, Toby. All right, a viewer is wanting to know a sort of an entertainment question. They ask this, is it sinful to listen to music that isn't uh, quote-unquote church music? Well, uh, no, the Bible never makes a distinction specifically between uh, music uh, that is secular, you might say, or spiritual. Uh, I understand what the viewer is asking. Uh, I don't think it is uh, sinful to listen to uh, what we might call secular music. Uh, what's sinful is to listen to sinful music. If the lyrics are uh, profane and vulgar and explicit, you know, clearly that's not something you should be putting into your mind, into your heart. Uh, the scriptures say guard your heart because everything else that you do in life flows from it. And I know people think, well, I, it doesn't have any effect on me. I just like the melody or whatever. And, you know, uh, that's just, that just can't happen. Uh, I have young children I mentioned on this program before where we listen to the music in the car. And you know what our children do? They, they sing along with the songs that are on the radio. And so my wife and I have decided to put Christian music on there because those are the things that we want in their heart. Well, I don't think that stops just because you grow up. I think the things that you put in are the things that you get out. So... Uh, what makes sinful music sinful uh, are the principles uh, that, that, that Scripture talks about. Uh, so anything that you put into your heart, you want to be very careful with. Uh, and I say with the same, not just with music, but with TV and books you read and magazines and the Internet and all of that. Uh, practice the principle of whatever. <laughs> and not in the sense of everything's okay. I mean in the Philippians 4, verse 8 sense of whatever. Let's look at that on the screen. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything, uh, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So that's the kind of music you ought to listen to for you, your family, and just entertainment in general. Be very careful about what you put in. All right, last question for the day. Is the Bible for or against reincarnation? Well, the way you answered it, I've got to say neither. Uh, the Bible is very neutral on that. It does not mention the word reincarnation. Uh, it doesn't talk about the philosophy at all, but it does slam the philosophy and disprove it and negate it. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says very clearly, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So it doesn't talk about reincarnation, but it says clearly, ain't going to happen. Uh, we live on this earth, we die, and then we're going to the judgment. We're not coming back as other creatures or other people. Not going to happen. Let's take time to get the trivia question answered today. And the trivia question was, how many times did the army circle Jericho? A little bit of a trick question. The total is 13. In the first six days, they went around it once each day. 
And then the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. You add all that up, you get 13 circuits around the city of Jericho. And at the end of the 13th one, when they blew their trumpets and did all their things, the walls of Jericho fell down. Great story. Kids love that yeah, one, and it's it. a good one. <laughs> all right, we're glad you've been with us today as we tried to answer a few of your questions. And we're going to come back next week and catch up on some more of them. We hope you come back then uh, to hear what we had to say about them. Until then, we hope you have a blessed week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.